0: so i've never had uh, good vacations i don't know since i became an adult it's it was always a case of you no know, money and not that much interest and it's always tough to kind of get the time and so yeah i had a few failed solo vacations and the thing that always happened was that i was always really geared up to go somewhere just get in the car but then uh, when i got to these places i just didn't really know what to do with, do with myself i, I I felt I was on a vacation and I had to do something. It just never seemed to work out. And I would come back after being somewhat bored for four or five days. Sometimes I would even end these things early. I remember the last one I tried several years ago. I got it in my head. I thought, you know what? I will go up to Cape Cod. That's what I'll do. And I'll, I'll go to Martha's Vineyard. I knew nothing about it, but it seems like, well, it's about a 10-hour drive. I'll do it. I'll do Take my my six days off from work, and I'll just go. So off I went, uh, middle of summer. And um, even, I, you know, I was on 95. There was some kind of horrible backup. Even before I got to Connecticut, I was starting to talk myself out of it all. Like I thought, you know, once again, what am I going to do when I get up there? Do I really want to do this? It wasn't even a question of of money, even though I didn't have much. It was just a question of, like, Why? <laughs> i just gotten so used to just sitting around the house, the apartment during these vacations. I just felt like I wasn't educated in the ways of vacations. So I I, I decided to split the drive in two. So I spent the night in um, Mystic Seaport, Connecticut. Nice little seaport. And I woke up the next day and I was really just kind of out of sorts. And, you know, I, I had a bunch of books with me because I was guarding myself against boredom. I picture myself being very bored when I eventually got to Martha's Vineyard. And one of the books was called The Outermost House. This was the the book that actually inspired me to take this little vacation, really. I bought it. It was just a a sort of a diary of a man's year. I think he did it in the 20s, a a year on Cape Cod in a very small house on the beach, dealing with all the elements and the isolation. He was all alone out there. And uh, I picked it up because of the cover. And I had it in the, in the car. I thought, well, maybe I'll read it while I'm up there. But I, I remember I went to a diner in Mystic Seaport there. And I was mostly alone. It was kind of a beautiful morning. You could hear seagulls everywhere. It's a working seaport. And I started to read this book. I started to read it, even though I was going to be in, in Cape Cod in not that many hours. I, and I just... Sat there with my coffee, my pancakes, reading the book, and I got immediately entranced by it. I really did. And when I left the, the diner, instead of getting in the car and getting back on 95 and going north, I I just hung out at Mystic. I went to a coffee house, and I kept reading. And I treated myself to a very nice lunch, and I kept reading this book. After lunch, I, I kind of walked around the whole town, getting, getting the whole vibe, and I decided to just stay and just see what happened. And I remember I have such a good memory of going to dinner at this little Italian restaurant and lingering there. And I, I, I realized I was going to finish the outermost house. I was going to finish reading this man's diary of his time alone in this little cottage on Cape Cod. I finished my dinner and I lingered there with some coffee and it just about closed uh, the restaurant And I I closed the book and I was like the last person to leave. And I walked outside. It was really dark. It was getting late. And I realized that I I had had the experience that I had come up for through reading that book. I didn't have any desire to keep going. It was just not going to be the same as, as being in the book. So I extended my motel stay, nasty kind of motel. And I got up the next morning and I drove home, and I just had no regrets. And I, I think it was kind of strange, of course, that I was able to kind of connect the, the first half of my trip to this imaginary second half. Right? I had the experience of Cape Cod, or the experience that I wanted, and I felt I've always felt very strange about that. But one one thing, the thing I never regretted was just spending the time with that book that day in mystic seaport because I don't remember any, of, any of the, the sites or any of the history that I learned about the town there. What I remember is just the act of being in those three restaurants. First, the diner and the, in the interim, there was the coffee house and then there was kind of a, Oh, just a nice sandwich place there. And then that nice dark Italian restaurant, where I was the last one to leave, and just always with that book, with me, always with the book. And the book is what what gave me that that amazing day. I don't remember really much about the book. I just remember what it was like to to have that day of reading. I just remember you know, page after page, yeah, that was that was the last time I ever went on a uh, vacation.
1: It can relate so much with that you know, like like traveling, but really kind of having your <laughs> your head down in a book the entire time. I mean, um, just now I, I remember someone I knew, a friend I had, a trapper, who uh, had <laughs> sort of uh, come from the east coast. Uh, and I I think it had a a bit, of, you know, the um, family family was pretty well off, but once like he got to trapper it was like he was doing, <laughs> he was determined to kind of do this experiment in, in, in poverty where he was just, he was like declaring a certain amount that he, that, you know, he could spend on food a day. And I want to, I want, I mean, I want to say it was like two or $3 that he had, that he had decided. But so he, I mean, and he was just, um, he was a very hungry reader and always just loved stories. Like sometimes, um, he would just kind of out of the blue, just say, tell me a story. So odd and charming, like something a a child would say, but it's like, we're hungry for stories still. I mean, all the time, like why, you know, and this is what, this is what this is all about. You know, I was reading, I was reading something that I didn't know much about, but I, you know, I picked up a mass market at, at the bookstore, and took it home. It was, um, I believe it was Justine by Lawrence Durrell. And I, I don't remember, I haven't read it since then, so I don't remember that much about it. But for, for some reason, the, the prose and the story was just really kind of knocking me over. And uh, I lent it to him, and he, <laughs> I guess, he told me that he, he ended up calling in sick just so... He could stay home and read that book because that's all he wanted to do. Once he once he dove in, um, those memories of travel, you know, I I've been thinking a lot about yeah these these just these moments of moments of joy. I mean, even even moments that are difficult that somehow reading kind of gets us through. Um, lots of times, you know, when. Oh, maybe when I was, when I was young and, um, I, you know, I remember in particular things like, well, time is so different. Um, it, you have such a different perspective of time, you know, depending on where you are in your life. And I, I you know, I remember as a kid, it's like even just going somewhere with your, you know, with your parents, for like an hour but if you didn't want to be there it was it was just intolerably forever you know you 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 didn't have that same sense of time I was on a family vacation and we were we were in LA and we we went to a Dodgers game and we were Sitting there, and and I just had, you know, I was like fine, but I had no interest. And I remember just kind of burying my face in a. I was reading <laughs> the collected stories of Carson McCullers, <laughs> and I was complaining to my mom that the people behind us were being too loud, you know. And I, I, she's just like, "What do you want me? To, I mean, it's a baseball game. I don't know what you want me to do, but just because it was somewhere that I I didn't particularly want to be. Lots of family vacation time you know it meant fun but it also meant a lot of waiting around it meant a lot of time in the car i think there's something about um not being able to in certain situations cope with the passage of time very well or or not just not knowing what to to do and kind of having this instinct that doing nothing is is going to kind of make you run in a circle and um so there were times I remember at, you know, where a, a relative was in the hospital and we'd be visiting and, you know, there was, some, there was, I, I, I could grasp what was going on, but I, it kind of fr- freaked me out. And so, I mean, it was just so sad and um, grave uh, um, that I ended up, you know, I remember hours and hours and hours and I was sitting in waiting rooms, um, reading, reading books. But I remember I remember taking little details from books like the description of, uh, you know, what one of the characters was wearing or like maybe a nickname they had or maybe a way that they were walking or just like an exchange they had with somebody or the unique, you know, describing the unique way that that character would see um, something in front of them. I I don't know. I I remember taking these little kind of micro details, uh, something that was odd or kind of um, adorable. And I, I would kind of try those things on. Like if I'd be walking to school, I would kind of imagine just, you know, like maybe I would imagine the way that, you know, this particular character, it's, you know, it kind of described them kind of skipping walking or something, you know. Just something that made um <laughs> made their perspective unique or just little details that made their character unique or just things that kind of stuck in my mind. Um, I don't know. You know, getting through the day, it's it's not a it's not, you know, even back then when you're just going to school and that's your job. It's not a small thing. There are all kinds of landmines all throughout the day. I was talking to you before about my uh, my uh, writing and uh, just frustrations with with trying to make that work in the world I, it's it's often said that you just you learn to write by reading um that's that's what it is because then you see different styles and you you know you kind of imitate them or you kind of bounce them off one another or you just you kind of learn to kind of pick out. you, you see the different things that different writers are, are doing and so you kind of start to get this idea of all the Colors in the palette that you can use and mix them, and it's all to say that me kind of remembering those moments in life where reading was really, really integral and really kind of saved me and really kind of got me through, or just made me more interested in the day. <laughs> um, it, I I have started. I have uh, started to. <laughs> I've tried to. I've uh, gone back to writing a bit. I I just needed to take you know I just needed um, a while. Uh, I I just needed to not do it for for a while, and I I thought that I would get back to it or or I hoped. Um, and I I ha- I have been a, a little bit. I
0: good. Um, good to hear. <laughs> what what do you uh, what are you writing?
1: Um, I've been kind of writing. a trying to think about um the bookstore, our mysterious bookstore. Just kind of imagining, a little like just kind of. I'm almost not even short stories, but like vignettes. Um, um, some of them take details that I actually do re- re- remember and think were there, but uh, you know, others aren't. Others are are just are um, just made up. That's what I needed. I Wait, you
0: know what? When did you when did you start to dabble in writing a little bit about the bookstore? When did this start?
1: when did we last speak <laughs> i don't i don't remember um
0: oh since then yeah, that is it,
1: well it was actually a, it was actually a little it was actually a little before before that the, it, it's it's been very kind of wonderful trying to, to detangle the story of this place of stories um, but it's you know it, it's also been kind of very mysterious and and maddening at, at times right
0: it's just so okay. strange because uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at, at the dollar store, uh, you know, where most of my, uh, most of my uh, money-saving triumphs have occurred recently. And I just, I don't know, I happened to see, they actually had a, a fairly decent little blank notebook there, a little blank spiral notebook, actually college-ruled and I, I i wasn't sure what possessed me to to buy it i just it's been so long since i bought one of those things and i got it home and um i was thinking like well okay what am i going to do with this <laughs> this bit of business and oh i just um i just kind of started writing in it but it was i was kind of imagining something about one of the people who worked in the store and and i just i kept i kept writing Uh, It didn't turn out so well, so I started writing about the the cat. Remember the cat from, did you ever see the cat there in the store? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just, I I don't know, I just started writing this kind of drivel about the bookstore cat, and I, next thing I knew, I'd written about four pages, and I I mean, I'm not any kind of writer, but I I looked down like, well, this is, (laughs) I'm not sure why I did this, but I think it must be, what you're talking about kind of like the, I think the word you just used was detangling. So I stopped there and I closed the blank book and I, but, um, I I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll do another one sometime. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. When we, when we talk on the phone again, next time, you know, whenever that is, um, Let's see what we've what we've come up with. I mean, maybe I'd kind of like to hear <laughs> what I'd kind of like to hear what you wrote, especially since you know you're <laughs> you've got the talent between us. But it's maybe I don't know, maybe I'll keep going and it'll be kind of interesting to see. I'd like to know how you sort of fictionalize things. Um maybe if we keep going along those lines, it only feels right that we should um that we should read those aloud somehow you know what i'm saying
2: <laughs> yeah i uh i like i like that i i think that would be that would be lovely
0: the cat was called porthos though no one knew why exactly he had four preferred sleeping spots inside the store his absolute favorite was on top of a 1932 Scribner's reprint of A Journal of the Plague Year on the second floor. It was the topmost volume on a short stack, situated merely to keep other books from flopping over in the fiction section, and the spot happened to receive The Four O'Clock Sun with Delicate Perfection. His second favorite was a gap between Look Back in Anger and Blues for Mr. Charlie on the bottom shelf of the drama section but only because he knew he could absolutely rely on it to never be disturbed. His other preferred haunts were both beneath the staircase where overstock was jammed tightly in nooks and crannies. The haphazard arrangement of the volumes created natural hiding spots. Porthos would slink into the ones that were the perfect size for his little white body and peer out at the customers over a copy of The Day of the Triffids or I Capture the Castle ducking down whenever he was about to be spotted. His day's rotation began on the upper floor, swung down to the bottom one when he was assured of either food or the attention of a rare browser, and brought him back up the staircase at around two o'clock or so for the duration of the evening, when he wasn't in the mood to sneak out onto the street. On his stay-in nights, and there were more and more of these as he entered his eleventh year of life, he would curl up on the floor in the dark near the books on philosophy and sociology, taking advantage of a warm spot where ducts converged under the wooden planks. Then, sometime past midnight, he would go exploring. His favorite thing to do was maneuver along the upper edges of a random stout row of hardcovers, enjoying the tiny variances in altitude. This game was best when the row was not quite as firmly constructed as it should be, owing to some displacement of the stock. When he sensed a wobbling beneath his paws, it entertained him greatly to suddenly hop down to the floor, hoping to hear, in midair some sort of subsidence and collapse that would, in the morning, require the attention of the humans who worked there. Once he had toppled volumes one through four of A People's History of the United States, And that had made a very satisfying clatter indeed. Porthos wasn't quite sure how he felt about those two employee humans. There was a man and there was a woman, and they orbited each other distantly and carefully. They weren't man and wife. They barely spoke to each other. They seemed neither happy nor unhappy. The woman would run a hand half-heartedly over Porthos's back, if and only if, he inserted himself into her workflow, and she would lose interest immediately after that. The man, who usually smelled pleasantly of tobacco, was more responsive. Once, when no browsers had been around to see, he had closed his eyes and tilted his head gently against Porthos's side as he lay there on the sales counter, as if the man was listening to his heartbeat, and his eyes were wet when he lifted his head after a full minute. Porthos found both the man and the woman strange, and he remained confused as to why two beings having the power of speech would not align in some way to get through these endless silent days that neither one of them seemed to enjoy. But the nights Porthos slipped out of the store just before dusk, sometimes noticed, sometimes not, those were really the most interesting times. He would walk down the sidewalk and make a thorough explanation of the dumpster around the corner, and then just haunt the streets of this mountain town all night, occasionally zigging while his few natural enemies zagged, keeping an eye out for owls, and causing great duress to one particular house poodle he knew and mocked from the sill outside the living room window as the silly little beast capered and barked. Almost always, Porthos would wind up creeping down a little path off a side street near an abandoned mill. The path led a little ways into the woods. There, he was greeted warmly by the odd man in the wheelchair, the man with the red beard. His encampment was full of old books of every shape and size. He was always reading by the fire when Porthos came, and he always had sardines for Porthos, plucked out of a tin. The bearded man liked to read to him. In this way, Porthos listened to the entirety of the Castle of Otranto and Gorky Park and the tenant of Wildfell Hall over the course of two years, purring and dozing by the bearded man's fire. Oftentimes, Porthos would lose interest in the words and the cadence of the man's speech, and simply nose around the piles and piles of novels and poetry collections and anthologies of critical essays that surrounded the man's tent. The books always seemed to be changing, the piles growing, then shrinking, then growing again. How's my store doing, the man would ask Porthos sometimes when he approached. He would ask him other questions, too. Not time for me to sell it yet, is it, was a common one. Or they're not stocking James Patterson still, are they? But as far as Porthos was aware, the man never left his spot in the woods. His legs seemed not to work at all. Porthos would slink back into the store in the morning, sometimes waiting patiently for the man or the woman to approach with the key, sometimes slipping in between the feet of the first browser of the day, who might not show up till mid-afternoon, and then another day would begin. Late at night, every thirty nights or so, he would wake on the floor from a deep sleep upstairs at a creaking sound. What he saw did not seem to make sense, even in his delightfully primitive cat's mind. The man in the wheelchair would be there in the aisle, straightening or rearranging such books on the shelves as he could reach. But there was no way to get to the upper floor, except via the perilous staircase, and no light to work by, except the dull red glow of a single exit sign bolted high up on the north wall. The man would turn to Porthos, smile, and go back to work. His motions with the books made no sound. When Porthos awoke in the daylight, the man would always be gone, and there was no noticeable change in the arrangement of the stock. Time for breakfast, then, and if he was lucky, a handful of a bagged treat called pitter-pats that always represented the highlight of any morning. Then It was off on the eternal hunt for new prime sleeping spots, to lay his soft body on middlemarch and illness as metaphor and tennis for dummies, to smell old binding glue and shoe leather and a dream of enemy mice who fought and died for the cause of poetry. Before
2: I didn't know such a place existed. Or it it wasn't that I didn't know it, and it's not, not at all, that I didn't believe it, or that I didn't think about such things. I don't know what it was. Maybe I worried that such a place didn't exist, that I'd come up empty. When I found the bookstore, when it found me, there's something I've wanted to say, but I don't know how. It almost hurt when I walked in. It's nearly impossible to explain. Before. I don't know what was there. I guess just land, trees. Then after that, a clearing of the trees. Just enough to build. Then a version of a house. Wooden and damp with forest soil cold on through till summer. And even then, still at night, I can imagine it, the progression, to a storefront with a wide porch. But it means nothing. And it means nothing because I can imagine it. If you can wrap your head around it, it doesn't count. After. That day, I have not tried in earnest to detangle. Perhaps I should have, a long time ago. But I'll try now, and I'll try to try this way with language, which is a weak and not a strong way maybe to do it. But it's what I've got, and it will have to take us there as best it can. So here we go. I was touching spines, running the ends of my fingers over them. I'm not sure if I used to do that a lot, but on that day I did. And I think I did it that day because I was trying to slow down, to use my nerves, to sink down in. At that time, I was trying to rejoice in life, in being alive or something, or something like that. It seems strange to say that I remember I was doing that or why, but no stranger than anything else. On that day, I was in the store, I was in the store in the woods. I was in the store up the road in the woods and I was running my fingers over spines. I wanted to both fan and curb a feeling I had. The feeling I had that was longing and nervous to keep the feeling. Desperate in some ways. Before. On this floor the boards don't in spots come together completely. And except... Where they are covered by thinning carpets I can see a bit through to beneath. When I walk down the stairs I can feel all the edges of all the floorboards with my feet. My shoes are cheap ankle boots made of imitation leather and thin rubber soles. There's a zipper up the inside that jingles ever so slightly when I step. I call them sometimes sometimes depending on company, and my aqua-velva shoes. After. I remember these things. The look of trees and morning sky. The smells of paper and dust and old flowers, and then outside of the damp porch, which was somehow both hard and soft enough to last a hundred springs and winters. I remember I was planning to stay up there a few days, in the apartment of a traveling friend. I planned to be at the bookstore as much as I possibly could. I planned to walk to the little diner down the road, and I planned to walk back. I planned to subsist on toast and their thin pale soup with sections of canned tomatoes and orangey speckles of oil floating in cream. After, upstairs... Looking down through, looking down quiet, I had seen something. Someone walking around. One of the employees. I think it was her. But as I creaked down the stairs, I couldn't see anyone. The counter space was empty, unattended, and still. As this wasn't an unusual occurrence in the store, people up here appeared and disappeared like ice. I didn't think it that strange. So I went to the door. So I went to the door and stepped outside. Before. I feel like I hear something to my right. Or I sense it more than I hear it, I guess. I weave around the porch to the side. I try to swing out a little bit to go wide. To kind of make a show of looking around. Maybe so I look a little less like I'm trespassing or following her or or like I lost something. In the back, around the side, away from the road, where I have never before now been, I see a wood pile, a shed. I see a ring of rocks and a rusty grill grate leaning over. There's a wheelbarrow, there's a hubcap. There's a metal chair, blue and pooling with rain. And there's a generator, a square and vented thing. And they always look at a place, don't they? Generators, I mean. They're industrial, rattling with violence on slabs of concrete, in wood chips and noodling grass. Here's where my memory splits. Here's where I freeze. After, I was stepping, taking care on the uneven ground. Here's where I froze, before there's a movement, a shifting, a movement in the corner. That's the overused phrase, isn't it? In the corner of my eye, or out of the corner of my eye point is, I catch it, movement by the generator. And I do look, I do look over, and I see something. And I see a thing. It is small, or maybe not so small, but compact, folded, like, like up to, like around its knees. Not really hiding, just beside. Just in its shade not really waiting either or coiled just there. I want to say there's some fur or just a skin that's coated in something, like the colour of rot pipes under roads, or maybe just frost and chlorophyll and poison berries and spring. The eyes, I don't know what to tell you about them. They're beyond my world. It moves a little, not much. It regards me. It opens a mouth. After, in a notebook, in an old and bending thing, I found this. I think this came from a book. From a book in the store, I can imagine I must have sat on the floor there and written it. I can imagine that that day I had no money, or just enough money for a book and nothing else, or just enough for some toast and orange-colored soup and the diner and a bus ride home. The passage is, it was like the sky when I saw the flaming ships, at the field in December.